Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to my Mavericks podcast. This is part three and the final part of my 2018 Good Life Experience special, a series of 10 conversations with people who were involved in the festival. First up is Jim Parkin. Jim is the man responsible for modeling the Shaun the Sheep models that Ardman have made so internationally famous. He is also the creator of the amazing scene machine and a really long-standing and passionate friend of and advocate of the Good Life Experience. This year he gave his first talk, which was titled Finding the Play in Clay, which was actually a brilliant talk. I don't get to see all the talks of everyone that I introduce because I introduce most people on stage, but I'm always lucky enough to capture, you know, 20 minutes or so of each speech, each talk, and um, Jim's was definitely a highlight. Um, I am Jim Parkin and I'm from The Amazing Sea Machine and this is uh, my fourth year at The Good Life Experience and I've just been on at the Academy. Well, I think my probably my earliest memory, I think, probably was at home with that kind of standard pack you'd buy from the news agents, you know, you get a rainbow of colours in ribbons and um, it would have a picture of some characters that you could possibly make. But I was never really interested in making whatever they had on the front cover, it was always turning it into something else and either you know cutting it into little bits to either make little houses or mostly making characters so um so yes probably from like i'd say maybe four or five was when i first graduated from play-doh which i really hated because it was so soft and um and wouldn't stand up so i was that kind of frustrated child that was kind of you know already kind of exasperated with the materials that I had. So to move to plasticine was, was you know, really freeing and exciting. All sorts of different stuff when I, I was young. Um, obviously things like Ray Harryhausen to the monster movies were, and you know, still a great influence today. And that, again, kind of really arts and crafts thing. I still have stuff like um, Button Moon and things like that as well, really good storytelling, but done very, very simply, I think. And that's what's kind of carried on through throughout my career. And also you know, what I'm driving to now, a kind of, a hark back to simplicity um, and the craft, I think, really, is what I really, really enjoy. In animation terms, I think the scene machine being really birthed at the Good Life Experience has been a real career highlight. So actually, this has been the birthing of my own project and the proof of concept of something I've been playing with for years. So to be able to bring it back and have such a strong reaction to it from the public and to be able to create these amazing art pieces and the film that I can then share with, with um, you know, the community that of, of people who've come to the Good Life Experience and shared that, then they can watch it afterwards. It's been a really brilliant thing. So it's proved a concept and also it's kept me, you know, kind of entertained and kept me enthusiastic about the job that I do. Yeah, I think um, it, it kind of, the scene machine kind of grew very quickly from a kind of trial thing we did um, at a, a, a conference. And it was just this thing of being able to play with clay and pushing it in a different direction. And I thought, then actually that thing of sharing it with people that didn't generally play with clay or paint and allowing them to get into the arts as well was quite, um, well, it was really good fun actually. It was a challenge, but to create something that was actually artistically satisfying as well as um, entertaining as well. Brilliant. Well, the amazing scene machine um, was partly born from the fact that people would look at the pictures and say, that's amazing. 
so it's also a love of the kind of the kind of the wordplay of Victorian shows and sideshows and things. So actually started off in more of a kind of Victorian sideshow thing and is now actually simplified down into this bright coloured, really joyous thing. And the Sea Machine is an animated event experience. So we capture the magic of your festival, your party, your opening, uh, your day at the museum or whatever it is, and we bring it to life through the medium of clay and we create a scene. The Good Life Experience is a giant swan song for the end of the festival season for us. Um, and it is a giant playground, really. Um, I'm often frustrated by my show because I want to escape and I want to run off and make a, uh, a bow. I want to make sausages. I want to cut up a deer. I want to go and clout a nail with the blacksmiths. I want to have a play with a peg loom or I want to turn a bowl or have a go at raku. And there's just such a, a world of stuff to play with. And as, as, a, as an artist, that opportunity to give, be given permission to play with other people's things is really thrilling. And the music's incredible as well. So, um, so the whole thing of kind of this melting pot of creativity, um, it's just really exciting. And, and I don't think there is another festival quite like it. Yeah, I think people do take a great deal away from, from the Good Life experience. I think physically they take away incredible gifts and you know bits of clothing and and um, souvenirs but also i think they take away um a kind of a kind of broader awareness of of music of the arts of foraging or food um and art so you actually kind of just a broader spectrum of what's out there and actually hopefully with the tools to be able to go and do it themselves and that confidence to go out there and try something new be it food or be it art or uh, be it a sport as well. Next up are Andy and Sarah Middleton. Andy is one of the co-founders of the Do Lectures and a passionate advocate of and operator in sustainable business and B Corps and very, very much involved in the exciting future of Wales. I said when I was introducing them on stage that this was the first time that Andy and Sarah had spoken together, but I didn't really mean that because they'd been married for 30-something years. It was the first time that they had spoken together at a festival or in a talk, and Jim sat down with them after the talk and had a chat. I'm Sarah Middleton, and I've been talking on the Academy around making the connection with, with heart and soul about living a life of passion. I'm Andy Middleton, Sarah's husband. This is our first, first talk we've ever done together, which is a fantastic thing to have done. And for me, the exciting bit's been connecting the, the, big, the big shifts that need to happen in the world with how people connect their passion to that in a way that they believe they can take action. So the, the way we ran the talk was was fr framing the kind of big picture bit and then the, the, individual, the individual accountability, the individual opportunity to make things happen. So I, my, my first part focused on both the sense that the world, the world is getting to be a better place, we are reducing poverty, there's a lot of really good things happening and there's a lot of huge things, there's huge shifts that are still needed. And those shifts need to start with us paying real attention to what's going on around us and the scale of change that's needed, level of risk associated with those shifts but recognising that, first of all, has to happen with us personally hearing that kind of call for help. And it was in responding to that call for help 
that Sarah kicked off her first piece. Yeah, which was very much around how we don't listen to the messages. It's kind of, we know there are problems on, on the earth um, and you know, you just have to switch on a, a TV or a radio to hear what's going wrong. And yet we're still living in a place where we're not quite believing it. And so it was really just aware, raising awareness around our mind dialogue of just believing that and playing small. So it's actually allowing ourselves to, to play from our heart and soul. And um, when we access that consciousness and, and move into that realm, it frees us up to be more authentic in our lives and to start living a life with passion. And um, my, my belief is, is that, that if we all were to start living that way, then you know, we don't need consumerism. That model is breaking anyway, and it would break that much faster when we believe the happiness is inside of us. Um, so really just talking around that point in that, that first section, and as Andy said, we weaved in and out of each other, and so he went on to talk about... Well, I guess it's... I suppose there's a lot of, a lot of people I talk to think, think that the epic things are for other people to do. And I think one of the things that's really important is to understand there are a lot of people who do average, who are just people like us who go on to do average things. So I shared some stories from the Do Lectures, from people I've met around here who are doing amazing things, whether it's around bakery or house building or doing things in a different way, to recognise that if we, if we surround ourselves by stories of people doing cool shit, that starts to become the normal framing for us rather than thinking, oh, I could never make that happen. And then on the back of that, framing these bigger ideas and then hand it back to Sarah to talk about, we ran through an exercise about how individually we can connect those possibilities with the first steps that we take. I, I, one of the things I really love here that with the, almost everything here that I see is around getting involved. And you know, there's lots of, there's lots of events around the country that, that have people showing how clever they are doing demonstrations and stuff. But here, and clearly there are performers here, but the singing, Singing that James, is, James and Dom are doing through Sills and Stitch is about bringing people together through song. The, this kind of beautiful arc of crafts here is about showing people how to use tools, often in completely new ways that they've experienced before. So for me, when you when you, you build human relationships through the acquisition of skills, and rather than you know you can do that lots of ways, but when you do it by doing something together, it's a it's it's, it's really different. So I think we're building that sense of community is lovely here, and many of the people I've met on workshops and singing you see other you see in gigs and you have a you can have a conversation you can't have with strangers. Next up is Hannah Jane Walker. I first came across Hannah when I was listening to Radio 4 in the car in Scotland about a year ago and this fascinating and very eloquent woman came on the radio giving a talk called Highly Sensitive about the the value of being a sensitive person and essentially talking about how sensitivity, which has always been seen as something of a weakness, was indeed completely the opposite. Sorry, I hope you can, can't hear my lab skippy whining in the background trying to get my attention. Sorry. Hannah Jane Walker was talking about this, um, this notion that sensitivity is incredibly valuable and, and recounting her own experience of being sensitive. Listening to her on the radio, it really struck a chord with me and I pulled over the car and made a note of her name. And that night I looked her up on the internet and sent her an email. And it turned out that an enormous number of other people had uh, contacted Hannah because this talk had resonated as deeply with them as it did with me. But anyway, Hannah and I agreed that she would come and speak at the festival. And so she, here she is. 
My name is Hannah Jane Walker. I'm here doing a talk on sensitivity with some questions afterwards. And I was on at Speaker's Corner. My talk is about the value of sensitivity and I, um, my experiences growing up of, of, of being a very highly sensitive child, um, which makes up 20% of the population. 20% of the population can be termed a highly sensitive person. And I was talking through the benefits, downfalls and stories that go with, um, with sensitivity and how powerful they can be. I'm a, I'm a writer, I write poems, I write performance poetry and page poetry I suppose it's called and I make shows which aren't plays which I'm in and I write articles. Well, everything I ever make involves metaphor so it depends where you draw the line on what poetry is I suppose um, but yeah everything always, my starting point with everything is always to think about what that means in terms of what, how that would be represented in metaphor. Where that then ends up whether it's on a stage, in a book in a piece of dance, in a talk, that kind of varies depending on what's most appropriate, I suppose. My earliest memories of getting into doing this are um, I went to the University of East Anglia, which has a really amazing creative writing degree, and I was too scared to apply to do the creative writing degree because you had to send in a portfolio, and I thought, I'll never get in, so I didn't. So instead, I just made friends with lots of writers when I got to university, and my boyfriend at the time, he's now quite a well-known writer. In fact, all the people I made friends with are all really quite famous writers, I suppose, in their own right. And one of them, a poet called Luke Wright, and he curated the poetry stage, which no longer exists at Latitude Festival. And my one of my very first uh, memories of doing a gig was somebody dropping out of a slot at Latitude and needing to go up in front of like a massive audience and read some poems and... I did it and I was terrified and then completely exhilarated afterwards and thought, yes, that's what I want to do forever. This is my first time at the Good Life Experience. I'm so happy to be here. I am, we're staying in a beautiful bell tent and I've really enjoyed waking up and looking at the castle. I presume it's called a castle. It's so beautiful. And soaking up the environment. It's really lovely to see my family here. I can see them right now. Oh, my daughter's made friends with another toddler. They're literally just running up and down and just seeing her be outside and be happy with being outside is a real joy to be honest. I think people can walk away from a festival like this and it can change them. I went to, I used to regularly go to uh, the Hail My Festival and I used to go, I remember like going to see an Al Gore talk when he was doing the uh, Inconvenient Truth talk and it completely blew my mind and I came away going wow I'm not saying I am like Al Gore like very far from it. Maybe some of the other people speaking are. Um, but yeah I think it can mean that you come away and you have not necessarily changed your mind on something but like have shifted your shifted your perspective or or had something articulated that you oh for me good art I always think this, this is my definition of a good poem a good poem and I think this can probably be applied to like a lot of the stuff that's going on here tells you something you already knew in a way that maybe it like draws it out of, of your mind to the forefront of it and you're like I did already know that but I just paid some more attention to it. And isn't that an interesting thing to hold in your mind for a while? Um, I, what is coming up for me? I am um, currently working on a stage show called Highly Sensitive. It's my very first solo show that I'm doing. Um, and I'm going to be making that from January. It's premiering in May. 
in Cambridge at the junction. And I'm currently being made associate artist for the National Centre for Writing, which means I'm doing a huge archaeology poetry project, just kind of looking at like how communities engage with what's under their feet. And a circus show and pushing the kid books out to publication and I finished my first poetry collection as well which is called Shark! <laughs> Exclamation mark at the end and so I'm sending that out to publishers at the moment so hopefully those things will all come to fruition we'll see <laughs> I said in the first of these special podcasts from the Good Life Experience that we're really nothing without our guests I think I said that you can prepare the best party as you probably know with everything immaculate but if the guests are wrong then it just doesn't work and one of the things that we really seem to have been fortunate with at The Good Life is that all of our guests are enthusiastic and kind and generous and nice and really into the experience. So this podcast wouldn't really be complete without us chatting to a few of them, which is what we did. My name's Stefan, I'm from Birmingham. Uh, yeah, this is my first time at Good Life experience. Um, uh, first thoughts? Good selection of um, talking word stuff uh, and workshops um, and music as well, really. I really liked Gwen last night, actually. Uh, it was, uh, she was the lady singing in Welsh and a bit of Cornish as well, so I enjoyed her. I've, I've been passing things, but at the moment I've not really engaged much, which is today I'm going to do that. So, yeah, I'm going to be at the Chris Watson. I'm going to go see Chris Watson and I'm going to go to a singing workshop shortly. That'll be good. Uh, I came from Stalbridge and my name is Maywall. My name is Rosa and I came from Swansea. I came from Pembrokeshire and my name is Flo. My name is Elsie and I came from Stalbridge. We like the fairgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the music's really interesting. They've got a different mix of people. The band last night we like dancing to. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool because like they stopped like at some certain points and, and then, we like, can the crowd it. said the words. Yeah. It's like, like, like rock, jazz, dancey rock. pop kind of thing. Like and disco. Yeah. And I was about to disco. fall asleep. <laughs> what? People coming on the stage and lots of music, so I like music, so yeah. People oh, are a bit shy. I can't do archery. I can't do archery. No, she can't. My name's Lawrence and we've come from Chester, so not too far away. My wife was the one who heard about it, so I think some friends of ours had been here before, last year or the year before, and that's how we heard about it. First impressions, it's uh, nice and relaxed, child-friendly, which is important for us. The relaxed part of it, really, is, the, is, is, is probably the main thing that we're looking for. I'm looking forward to um, the music tonight, seeing Norman Jay DJing. That's a big thing for me. Um, but we're going to try and get to the foraging workshop. I would have been in the lake swimming, but for a but for a knee injury, so I can't I can't get in there. I'm trying to find something the kids will like, but I think we've discovered they they're happy just playing over there. So we're all, me and my wife are both vegans as well, so it seems to cater well for us, which is a which is another thing. I know down in the farm shop last night, looking at booking it for next year, because if you book it now. There seems to be a big discount, so we're probably going to look at doing that. Probably bring some, some more family with us next year or something like that. Next up is Joe Minahane, the creator of Floating, a return to waterlog, which was the winner of our inaugural film prize at the Good Life Experience. We were this was sponsored by Aberfalls Gin, which is a Welsh gin brand, which is a really interesting brand. And we had 1,609 entries, which completely blew us away before we actually had to close the uh, competition to entrance. The prize was a thousand pounds and a bell tent at the festival. 
and um, we're going to be continuing with it next year. And so here is Joe Minahane. Okay, uh, my name is Joe Minahane, and I'm talking about my book, Floating, A Return to Waterlog, and I am going to be on the Caught by the River stage. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about um, two things, really. Um, the two things that my book is about. So that's wild swimming and anxiety, um, and how those two things sort of interact for me. So um, I um, started wild swimming about seven or eight years ago, um, as a way of dealing with the anxiety that I have, that I still have, um, but it's sort of a way of me finding a sort of, I suppose it's some kind of nature cure. I don't want to say like it's the only way I fix my anxiety because it's not. And my book sort of deals with that and like how I found a way of fixing and sorting out my anxiety through uh, talking therapy as well as swimming. Um, but the idea of my book was that I had this madcap idea that I was going to retrace um, Waterlog by Roger Deakin, which was this seminal nature writing classic from like the late 90s. And um, Deakin um, lived in Suffolk and he had his own moat around a farmhouse, as you do, you know, because everybody has their own private moat to swim in. And uh, he was sort of this quite amazing anti-authoritarian itinerant spirit um, and sort of nothing really like me. But I really loved his writing and I really loved him when I read his writing. So I was looking for a project that um, would give me something interesting to do and make me feel less miserable as a freelancer as I was at the time. And uh, I set out to... <coughs> retrace his whole book um, and it was a blog which uh, Caught by the River published some of the posts from and then it became Floating which is the book that I'm going to be reading from. Um, yeah I suppose the overarching idea is A. Wild swimming is amazing, <laughs> B. Um, if you've got anxiety or depression or something like that being outdoors is a great way of ameliorating that but not fixing it wholly. I'm, I'm a big believer in spending time outdoors and, and a big believer in finding ways to cope with mental health struggles. But my takeaway from it was that I actually needed professional help to deal with my problems and that the swimming was a way into finding, discovering that I had anxiety in the first place and understanding what it was, but then also discovering that you can't lump all your hopes of feeling better onto one thing be that wild swimming, be it running, be it medication, be it therapy. You've got to have a mix and you've got to try and like chuck everything at it. Uh, so the film based on floating, which is called, the, the film is called Waterlog, um, came out of the fact that when I was first promoting floating, I did an interview on Lauren Laverne's Sixth Music Show and um, I was contacted by the director, a guy called Ben Cox. Him and I both live in Brighton. And he was like, I want to make a film about you and about your book um, and I thought it was just going to be like you know this three minute thing that we were just going to like have a quick do a quick shoot and it turns out that like Ben is some kind of like crazed genius and uh, he works for a production company down in Brighton so he has access to these amazing cameras so there were like drones and there's 4k cameras and he's in the water with me with like waterproof housing equipment and he's like got diving belts and he's going underneath me and all of a sudden this thing that um well my book was like brought to life and i've you know and then we 
the film only came out like a few weeks ago and, and the response has been absolutely insane. It's an eight minute short and we traveled all over. Ben had this idea that he didn't want to retread too much ground from floating, which I was totally cool with because I'd already been to a lot of those places. So we went to Skye, we swam in the Cairngorms, we did a couple of swims down in Sussex near where we live. We swam under a starling murmuration in February in like full, both of us in like full wetsuit and boots and gloves and hats which was stunning because we got to stay in for like 20 minutes. And there's all these people on Brighton Pier looking, what are they not? Apparently they were all like, well, what are they doing down there? Why don't they want to? The other cameraman on the pier was like, it's going to be, the view's going to be rubbish. Like, I could promise you it wasn't. Like lying there underneath the Starling murmuration. And you could see, it was so incredible because you actually, you could hear the way they were moving, like the, the turn of all the birds at the same time. So you, the birds weren't really singing, they, it was, but it was just like the way they cut through the sky. It was just incredible. So that was amazing, and like, we got to do all these ludicrous things and have a lot of fun. And uh, Ben had a really good way of coaxing my story out of me that felt like a therapy session, but he didn't know he was doing it. But what was really quite funny was that he, every, he would be like, no, can you just say that phrase the moment we were doing audio? I said, can you do that, do that phrase again? And it's like, bloody hell, like, this is like an incredibly intense therapy session in a small studio space with no window. Essentially, me and him in a cupboard for like four hours talking and that was like that weirdly was the most stressful thing of the whole thing getting in the water was fine compared with that it was amazing we got chosen for the good life film competition and we well we didn't fully like ben entered it just on like oh you know we'll chuck it in see what happens and when they got in touch to say that we'd won was well, neither of us could believe the fact there were 1600 entries so the fact that it was like you know the first out of all of those was just unbelievable He's had like, I think he's had like 22,000 views on Vimeo already in like, like three weeks. And it seems to have like gone far and wide and everybody seems to have connected with it, which is just amazing. Okay, I mean, I, yeah, so I arrived at the festival late, but, um, and I've really enjoyed just the complete diversity of the experience. Like just seeing kids going absolutely mad at the swings on carousel. That's so great. Um, my little boy's a bit too young for that kind of thing, but I think if we come back next year, I can just see, I can envisage him going mad. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed 77, 78 last night. Um, Heavenly Records always signed great bands. So, you know, like some of my favorite records on their label. And um, yeah, it's just been a really lovely vibe. Like just being able to go down and have a swim before doing my talk is just like quite a nice thing to do. And it's just a novelty for me because I live in Brighton, so I swim in the sea all the time. So just be able to get in a lake, it's quite, not have to worry about currents and waves. Next up is one of our long-standing makers. It's Carla, who does raku firing of pots and has been with us now, I think, for three or four years. Hi, I'm Carla Pownall. I'm here with the, at the Good Life with four other potters uh, glazing and firing a raku kiln. Throughout the, the, throughout the whole three days. Okay, raku is a Japanese form of firing pots. It's quite instant. They're in the kiln for just about 25 minutes. They come out at 1,000 degrees and go into sawdust. It's very, very exciting. The colours we use are two primary colours. They could be a white, which will go to a crackle white, or a, um, a turquoise, which can stay turquoise or go to a beautiful copper colour but it's all in the hands of the gods, of the kiln gods. Okay, my journey started way back in school in the 70s, touching clay and art. 
and then landing my perfect job as an apprentice potter and then it's just life you know it's just grown with me I've always had a wheel and a kiln and it's just always been a, a part of the oxygen that I breathe I, I've got to be honest it's part it's one of the best festivals that I, I've been present to do um, fabulous family atmosphere there's so much to do there's so many um, different hands-on events um, and other things the music and the the, the storytelling and the, the the visual things that people can see but it's a whole family and dogs and mums and dads and aunties uncles and grandmas it's one of those festivals it's a fabulous one to come to growing up now it's not as tactile because it's all computers and you sit in front of screens and I think this is just the ideal opportunity this is what my mum and dad would have done to me and I'm I'm over 50 and I used to do this type of this wickling when I was camping it's all that kind of brought together on one great big festival it's fabulous Alice Guy is a customer of one of our businesses peddlers and someone who I've admired from afar on Instagram for a long time I think about a year ago, she decided that she was going to try and live with her family, her husband and young children for a year without using plastic. And she started posting about this online and it was clearly something that was very much in the ether and indeed something that we're trying to address at the Good Life Experience. So I asked her if she'd come and talk and she agreed. It was the first time she'd done a public um, speaking, had done any public speaking about this year without plastic. But the tent was rammed with incredibly engaged and interesting people. And so here is Alice Guy. Sure. Um, okay, so, so uh, I'm Alice, Alice Guy. I am um, based down in uh, Brighton. I was chatting at the Good Life about um, living plastic free and uh, what that's changed for our family in, um, in, in, in the kind of positive positive that brought to us and I was on the speaker's corner. The talk was um, looking back at the last 20 months that my family and I had lived um, plastic free um, and how that's broadened out to kind of moving towards zero waste living as well um, and kind of thinking about the um, kind of benefits that's brought to us as a family um, and, and the changes it's made to our home. Yeah, in terms of the key ways that we've gone about it, I think kind of we started with a um, a few sort of ground rules, which was um, no online shopping um, because of being unable to control the the packaging that comes with that. Um, you know, no more bottled water or, or plastic uh, drinks bottles, no more plastic bags, um, no more milk um, uh, cartons or or, uh, or plastic bottles. Um, and those straws, you know, they were sort of the basic principles which we um, started our journey on, um, which are all quite, you know, they're, they're relatively um, uh, large changes um, in themselves. Um, and we kind of jumped into it sort of both feet first. But I think any or some of those changes um, can make a big difference if people want to start on a slightly slower pace of change. Some kind of, you know, headline examples that people can do. So we have our milk delivered now um, by a milkman uh, in glass bottles, which we then return back very much like we used to do in the old days. Um, and that can be, um, there's a nationwide sort of website that tends to do that called milkandmore.co.uk. Um, they're a great starting point to see if they deliver in their lo if people's local areas. 
we get our orange juice through them as well. Um, and then we've kind of been able to find local, um, several local shops, um, greengrocers who um, sell everything loose that we can uh, put into paper bags. Um, it's the same with all the dried goods. We can get them. Uh, we've got shops available to us that, where we can get all our kind of food, uh, dried food, loose, and we weigh out what we need. Um, so it's sort of finding the solutions local to you um, that are available. And there are several kind of websites. Um, if, you, if people search, um, you know, plastic free living, for example, on Google, they can probably find information in their local area of um, zero waste shops. Um, and also I wrote, I did write a kind of blog post for Good Life Experience um, that, that's on the website as well that kind of offers up a whole host of hints and tips um, you know, from everything from sort of deodorant down to, um, you know, toys for the kids, um, you know, so, so there's a lot of kind of useful hints and tips on that as well. Yeah, so it, it was our first time attending Good Life. Um, so three from um, uh, the Good Life had got in contact with us earlier in the year, having seen um, the stuff I'd been doing on Instagram. Um, and it was amazing to talk at. Um, I think kind of as a festival, it's so... Um, creative and kind of it's nice that it's quite small so you can get a feel for everything that's there um, you know you can it's really accessible from a camping perspective um, but then still to have some great music um, you know Norman Jay was awesome Go Team was awesome um, it, it was just it was just a really fun fun event and um, my, you know I was there with our two kids who are 11 and 6 and they loved all the kind of whittling and the t-shirt printing and all the kind of creative stuff and then there was all the speakers and the the kind of more craft uh, orientated um, stalls and everything that were great for the grown-ups as well. I just felt it offered up something for, for us all um, in a really nice um, package. Ben Fogel has just climbed Everest. I don't know if you saw the TV programme or the TV programmes. It was edited down, I think, into one hour by ITV, having been on CNN over the course of three programmes. It was an incredible achievement. I mean, it really is astonishing. Climbing Everest is one of those things that everyone imagines they might be able to do one day. But not many people do. And, and very rarely, of course, do people do it who aren't actually mountaineers. Anyway, Ben has just done it. And for the... Fourth time, I think, he very, very generously agreed to come to Harden and to talk at the Good Life Experience. He spoke on Saturday afternoon to about 2,000 people on our main stage. And here is Ben talking to Jim after his talk. Uh, my name is Ben Fogel and I'm here at the Good Life Experience to talk about some of my travels and adventures and most recently climbing Mount Everest and I've been talking on the main stage. Today was mainly about my most recent expedition which was climbing Mount Everest, um, probably one of the hardest, most dangerous things I've ever done and I, I was trying to 
I suppose, bring it to life uh, for everyone at the festival today and, uh, and trying to take them metaphorically up that mountain and to the summit and, and, uh, and sharing with them, uh, I suppose, my own story of what it is to climb the, the world's highest mountain. I've been coming here for about five years now. Uh, so uh, I, I've been a number of times, we come with our, our family every time and, and, and uh, many friends and extended family. And uh, I love it here because this, this is a sort of like a, a, a more civilized version of uh, my job, going out to live with people that whittle wood and make fires and um, forge their own knives. Uh, and it's great to be able to give my children a little insight into the, the kind of the world of bushcraft, the world of um, craft generally and, and, and a kind of simpler way of life. People's lives are so fast now. Everything is fast. Information is fast. Things happen very fast. We're inundated. We're, it's an assault on our senses. I actually don't think our brains have kept up with the speed of technology. And I think the, the result is that, that we're, we're looking for a simpler life and we're looking for a slower life. And this festival is the embodiment of that. It's, it's a slower pace. Everything is much slower here. You have time to think, to dwell. You don't see people rooted uh, uh, to their smartphones or, or tablets. It's, it's a much more wholesome, earthy experience. And I think for many of the people here who probably the majority live in cities and are probably hooked into that commercial um, materialistic world, this is the antithesis to that. And I think a lot of people are, are looking for that in their lives and a, lo a lot of people are looking to slow things down. And I think this is a place to either um, find inspiration of how to do it or it's a, a, a way to temporarily press pause on this hasty world of ours. Um, I think oh, I've been, I, I'm very lucky, I've been inspired by lots of people. Yes, I think I, one, one of the shows I did actually, so mine's probably a bit different to some of the people you've been chatting to here because uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to direct people to my new series, New Lives in the Wild, which starts on the 25th of September on Channel 5. And I go to visit a man called Robert. Robert lives in, I think it's Tennessee, if I remember correctly. We filmed it nearly a year ago. And he's a cabin builder master cabin builder, all by hand, cutting all the wood, lathing it all by hand, no machinery. And I think he was truly one of the most beautiful, inspiring people I've ever met in my life, hounded by the authorities his whole life because he doesn't conform to society's expectations because he's never hooked into the system. And, uh, and I think if people want, some, want to see someone, want a little insight into a truly exceptional individual, go and watch Robert. Um, uh, who I spent uh, about 10 days with because I think he will have a deep, profound effect on you. This year at the festival, we've introduced a much more robust Welsh area. We are in Wales and we think there's a huge amount of really exciting and engaging stuff going on in Wales at the moment. And in many ways, the Good Life Experience is, is acting as a sort of magnet for a lot of those creative activities and creative people. But we had our own Welsh area this year and Fiona Collins was telling stories in Welsh there. Okay, so I'm Fiona Collins. I'm a storyteller, and I was asked to come and do some storytelling in Penbarlag, the, the Welsh language uh, stage here at The Good Life. But I live 
relatively closely. I live in Denbyshire, which is the next county over. So, um, yes, I did know about it. So I was pleased to be asked to come and take part. Well, I've been a professional storyteller now for 26 years and I've been earning my living that way. And one of the things I do is work with children and young people and if they're interested in storytelling or if they're interested in theatre, I do say to them, you know, it is a, it is a, a viable career choice. You'll never be a millionaire, but if, it's, if you want to follow your dream, it's a great thing to do. Well, today I decided I would tell one of the stories from the Mabinogion, which is a, a collection which is at least 800 years old. We have two written copies of these stories from 800 years ago, but clearly by the shape of them, they were all stories they were being told before they were written down by scribes. And um, the Mabinogion is really unique to Wales. There's nothing like it in England or Scotland or even in Ireland, which does have a very rich tradition of um, tales and legends. And there are 12 stories in the collection, um, all of which I love. And today I told the story, The Dream of Maxim, which is a story about the Romans here in Wales. And um, obviously it's, a, it's a, a legend, it's not a true story, it's not a historical story. But just as in English you can hear how the word story is inside the word history, there are aspects of the story that are real. So Maxen is the hero, but there actually was a Roman emperor called Magnus Maximus, that's his Latin name. And he ruled for about five years in the sort of twilight of the empire from 384 to 388. Um, but the story tells how he dreamed of a beautiful woman here in Wales and went searching to follow his dream path, to follow his dream and found in real life the woman he dreamed of and the city where she was um, is clearly identified in the story as Carnarvon and there are extensive Roman remains in Carnarvon. Carnarvon does have a castle of course, it has Carnarvon Castle but that's a modern castle compared with the story but there are Roman remains, it must have been one of the furthest west outposts of the Roman Empire and it's Sagontium is the Roman castle that, that, that's there so that's referred to in the story. And at the end of the story, when Maxon has finally followed his dream, found the woman of his dreams, and she, as she gets to know him, falls in love with him, which is lucky, otherwise it'd be really sad. Um, she asks him as a wedding present to build her a road so that the people of Wales can travel safely. And of course, the Romans are very famous for their brilliant roads. And there is a Roman road called San Ellen, which means Ellen's Path. And you can walk on it here in Wales. You can walk on it on the moors above Trasfynydd. You can walk on it at Betisicoid. You can walk on it at um, Dwygavolchi above Conway. You can walk on it in the south in Glynneath. And that exists. And this story has grown up around it. And I think that hearing the stories and legends of real places, especially places that we know, helps us to look at them with different eyes and to know them in a more rich way. So I do, I collect stories and I've published some collections of folk tales that I've retold in my own words of the, you know, of this area of North East Wales, which is where I live and where we are now. Uh, Jessica Seaton is the co-founder of Toast, the extraordinarily distinctive online catalogue and high street business, which really had an influence on taste and had such a strong point of view that it was really hard to ignore. 
Her next career was as a cook, chef, forager, and overall stylish person, and we were thrilled to get her to come up to Harden and to talk, and to demonstrate, in fact, on our campfire cooking stage this year. So, here she is. My name's Jessica Seaton. I founded a company called Toast with my husband some time ago. Uh, in the last few years of Toast, I published a cookery book called Gather, Cook, Feast, which was about food and landscape. And um, we sold Toast in uh, the spring of this year. So now I'm in a new phase, uh, exploring what I might do in the world of food. And I'm particularly interested in food varieties, um, food politics, ways of making and growing slow food. Here at the Good Life Experience I'm, I'm doing a session at uh, Campfire Cooking uh, called Smoke and Fruits which is aptly named because it is very smoky on that, on that stage which is um, glorious and mad and wonderful as your specs fall off and the smoke gets in your eyes but uh, makes the food taste amazing so um, that's, that can only be good right? Well, one of the things about the book is it's seasonal. So I wanted to do something that was a little bit different and might not repeat anything that anybody else was doing. So I came up with the idea of smoke and fruits. Um, so a lot of the recipes I did today were actually new ones. Um, but uh, some of them come from the book, like the elderberry vinegar is in the book. Uh, um, the uh, caramelised oranges are in the book which I served with a chocolate tort, a chocolate and almond tort. So they're just caramelised in, in, the, in the oven, uh, really simple with the rind on, but that bitter and sweet together, really delicious. Um, so there's like bits that come from the book, but a lot of the stuff I did today was new. My very first memory of cooking was when I was four and I was given a cooker for Christmas which was obviously a toy cooker, but actually functioned as a cooker. It, it was fueled by little paraffin pellets, and I cooked bacon and eggs for breakfast on Christmas morning at the age of four. So that was my very first meal that I made. So this festival seems really different to me to lots of other festivals that I've been to. And uh, the thing that's striking is the mix of food and music and particularly the music here seems really good. So there's lots, I mean lots, there are other festivals that mix cooking and outdoor things and nature and you know, uh, kind of down-homey stuff. But the music is not as good as it is here, I don't think. So I, I think that's really brilliant. And uh, the atmosphere and everybody, the way everybody's uh, so chilled and helpful. I really care about this as an issue, the fact that um, people, many people are stuck doing jobs that they feel, and, and this has been proved, I think, by, by research, that a really high proportion of people in jobs, especially in London, but also in other cities, they're doing things that they really feel is meaningless and, and has no sort of value. Like being a teacher has value, being a nurse has value. But being the PA to the CEO of the marketing department, pushing, filling in forms, just, you know, just doesn't feel like it has any kind of point to it. And I, I think people need value in their lives. They need to feel purpose. And, and there's no greater purpose than just 
making something yourself and having the thrill of having done it and seeing it and holding it in your hand. Um, with food, with making music, with making objects, it's all the same thing really, isn't it? Um, it's just getting down and doing stuff directly yourself, connected with it. So I don't think this is going to go away. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be more and more and more, and that, that can only be a good thing for people and their health and well-being. Right, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that. It was an amazing year. Tickets are selling really well for next year. We're going to make it a bit smaller. We've decided that we don't want to have a huge festival. We just want to have a really great festival. So please do buy your tickets now. They're obviously cheaper at the moment than they will be later in the year. We would love to see you. If you did make it, I hope you've enjoyed this. If you didn't make it, I hope you enjoyed this. And either way, I very much hope you'll come next year. Thank you to you and thank you in particular to my friend Jim Friend for his interviews here, his editing and all of his technical advice and support with this podcast. Okay, see you soon. Bye.